0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Lilo Stainton, healthcare reporter at NJ Spotlight. Today, we're bringing you a really fascinating discussion about food insecurity in Newark and what the community is doing to address it. Just a listener note this conversation is centered around a collaborative, student led documentary called Food for Thought The Path to Food Security in Newark. Here's Micheline Davis, Executive VP for RWJ Barnabas Health, with more.
1: So so excited to witness this incredible panel discussion really emanating out of the documentary uh, Food for Thought, The Path to Food Security in Newark, New Jersey. An incredibly exciting opportunity for folks to come together and really dialogue around why we need to do things in a collaborative manner in order to make a long-term sustainable change in the food landscape, right, in the food security landscape in the city of Newark, New Jersey. So one of the fantastic aspects of uh, my role is that I get to, to drive social impact and community investment across the system. But that seeks to change structures and systems in order to have policy outcomes that in fact impact the practical experience of the way that people live so this panel was so incredibly important to me one because we had a primary care physician right one who yes has, has served as a primary care physician but also has been the head of the health department in the city of Newark and two the fact that we had an urban farmer on the panel um, and finally the fact that we have a young person who kept telling us to pay attention to their voice so that we could figure out exactly what it was that we needed to to do but quite frankly how the youth could lead us down that path. It's a fantastic discussion.
0: Good evening. Um, My name is Lilo Stainton. I'm uh, a journalist a reporter with New Jersey Spotlight an online publication and I cover healthcare and I am really honored to be part of this in a small way. Um, I'm going to lead a discussion this evening with some experts um, that know much more about this than I do. Um, And as you know, that film raised a lot of really important and uh, heavy topics. We're not going to have time to get into all of them, Um, but we are going to get into a little bit more um, about the food, health, and advocacy issues here in Newark um, to try to take a little bit of a deeper dive and start that next conversation. Um, and we also want to hear from you. There's a microphone in the middle there. Um, you can also just stand up if you have a good outdoor voice. Um, so without further ado, we will jump right in. Um, to my left is Natalie Augusto Filion, the Chief Sustainability Officer with the City of Newark. Amar- Amaryllis Olivio, who founded the Garden of Worker Bees. Dr. Denise Rogers, who is Vice Chancellor at Rutgers University and also the Chair of the Believe in a Healthy Newark Initiative Steering Committee. <laughs> Deborah Vizi, President and CEO of the Community Food Bank of New Jersey. And she probably needs no introduction, Shakira McKnight, who solved the issue of road rage for us in the film. So. So we're going to start with um, talking a little bit about what are some of the opportunities uh, for healthy food, places that offer healthy food, and places where people can um, can learn more about what options they have and how they can eat better. Deborah, this sounds like a question for you to start with.
2: Right. Well, the Community Food Bank of New Jersey started here in Newark, so we're very proud of our roots. Um, we have 140 partners in the city. Um, we always call ourselves sort of the Oz behind the curtain. All of the Boys and Girls Clubs, churches and food pantries and soup kitchens are often funded and provided for by the Community Food Bank of New Jersey. One of the hallmarks of, of what we do, we saw in the film, uh, Daryl, our chef, who um, you know, came from the food service training program, which is a cooperative of chefs and culinarians that come together for a 16-week program, teach folks how to cook, and they, in turn, are cooking for the children that we serve every single day. We serve them lunch and dinner in the summer and throughout the school year. So there are a variety of programs at the food bank is very deeply entrenched with and involved with in the city of Newark and throughout the state. Um, things like the backpack program, kids that are getting backpacks on Friday and having enough food for the weekend. So there's so many things that we're a part of in the city and very proud of.
0: Thank you. Amaryllis,
3: tell us a little bit about the work you're doing. So I founded the Garden of Worker Bees to teach community members about organic growing practices. and. It's a work for food concept, so whoever works in the garden can harvest in the garden. But in addition to the garden, I also teach uh, classes on culturally relevant uh, cooking. So we grow specific herbs like cilantro, we grow um, callaloo in our garden, so things that are Whoever participates in the garden, they could bring seeds and things that they are familiar with. We grow them. We also have workshops and seminars that pertain to canning or preservation. And some of the more recent classes that I've taught, I brought a um, book just to show. It's called The Taste of African Heritage, which is a plant-based diet. And so this is a six-week series. Um, I also have a vegan. Uh, book to show, Then this is a free resource that's also provided. You can go to farmsanctuary.org, and I partner with other organizations like the American Heart Association to promote uh, a plant-based diet as well. So these are all things that are uh, full circle to show how to use the um, produce that we grow. Um, Amaryllis, tell us a little more about
0: Urban farming in the community, how, how has it changed in Newark? This might be something you can jump in on too, Natalie. Um, how is the, what are you seeing in the community and the appetite for urban farming here, Amaryllis, and, and how is the city sort of contributing to that, if you will?
3: Right, so I think that there's a large interest in urban gardening. And so, again, through the Adopt-A-Lot program, it is a one-year lease, and I think that there needs to be more policy and agri- uh, more poly- policy advocacy change for land tenure, where would allow a larger time period for us to use and develop that land.
4: Natalie. Yeah.
3: So I'll, I'll step in a little bit. So um,
4: I was really struck, actually. I started as chief sustainability. Uh, director with this uh, officer with the city about a year ago, a little over a year ago now. And um, I come from my, my expertise is in adaptation to climate change, so how we um, address the the impact which you can you can now.
0: say those words in Newark apparently climate change
4: we can say climate change yeah, okay. um, in Newark and in New Jersey now yeah. throughout the state in fact yeah. um, <laughs> uh, and so I come from um, a mindset which really focuses on sustainability as tied to the climate conversation and so um, and and just as sort of a personal aside I, I also am not an avid gardener which
2: actually makes
4: me <laughs> someone that's not as like deeply engaged engaged in, in how to do that work. I, I tried my hand. I'm actually I'm a, f- a foodie, so I'm a big eater of local foods. And that's my uh, passion when it comes to that issue in particular. And so I was really struck by the number of people who raised their hands in a, a variety of community engagement sessions that I've had since I started, naming that particular need as something that um, needed to come up. And uh, I've I've done a number of conversations with different community stakeholders, obviously um, public input and in a recent conversation with the mayor, actually found out that that's his top priority issue for 2018 and I'm actually going through a process um, in updating the sustainability action plan which will uh, hopefully get us at some really key uh, goals and objectives for how to advance this particular leg of the sustainability, um, piece of the sustainability umbrella.
0: Dr. Rogers, Tell us about the DASH diet and why it's important that we should know that. Wow.
4: So um, I think one of
5: the issues that we often have in trying to make decisions about food is what diet to follow. And this becomes particularly complicated when people decide they want to lose weight and, you know, people will eat only grapefruit or... God knows what people, it's just unbelievable what people tell me they do to to lose weight. So the DASH diet was developed by the federal government actually many, many years ago. It's Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. That's what DASH stands for. It turns out that it is the number one diet, rated by US News and World Report, and you know they get everything right. Um, It is the number one diet for overall nutrition and weight loss and maintenance in this country. And there are tons of free resources about the DASH diet because it was developed by the federal government that are available. I, we have some materials that we have here for people who are there interested in it. Um, but it's also just, even if you don't have hypertension, it's a very healthy diet to eat and it's a very healthy diet for children as well. So I'm a big proponent of the DASH diet. Go home, look it up on your phones, look it up on your computers. Lots of, lots of good recipes and easy ways to follow it.
0: Thank you. Um, Shakira, I, one of the things that I was really struck by um, that you said in the film is you talked about how to make these programs interesting to young people, um, you know, not just the same old fruits and vegetables. And I think that, um, what, do you, what kind of insight do you have to share with us about how to, how to get young people involved and how to speak to young people when you're talking about these things?
6: Well, first and foremost, i like to say thank you for being a part of this beautiful project and how it was informing to me because I wasn't aware of things like food deserts and um, how important it is to have access to healthy foods. So I encourage my peers, you know, to not be afraid to say what it is that you do not know because if you don't know about the problem, then how can you make the solution? Um, And I also believe that young people Um, can utilize social media. Um, Just like this beautiful video, you know, it was attractive to us. So things that catch our eye to make us pay attention, you know, to the things that we need to see. So utilizing social media in positive ways so that we can reach out to our peers and let them know about things like food insecurity so that we can help this issue and create things that we would like to see. And also knowing about the solutions that are there, like food banks and, you know, farmers markets and things like that that help us. So I feel like, you know, information is power, and young people knowing about these things and being a part of these conversations is very important. Excellent. <laughs> Dr. Rogers, back to you. Uh,
0: a large percent of Newark is young. Um, and this was, you know, I, I, 28% or under 18, I guess. Um, and this was really captured in the, in the film. Um, tell us a little bit about the health challenges involved um, with food insecurity in general and sort of how that evolves for a person who is young and starts there and then as they grow up. And I'm thinking, you know, I know it mentioned in the film as well that you're you're talking about impact on school and a lot of other things beyond just being hungry, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that... um you know intuitively we all know it I think the issue is what do we do about it right so if you don't grow up eating healthy food it's much more difficult to grow up being healthy Um, I think we also know that we have this paradox of often children who are food insecure being overweight because they have so much access to fast food um, I often lament the fact that uh, on the corner of Market and 12th next to my office is McDonald's and Wendy's and some other fast food restaurant. I can't remember the name. Checkers. Thank you. See, look at how many of you know. Of course, you've never been there. Neither have I. Um, and, and, and so it becomes this challenge then to really help families to be able to access nutrition food. But this is the one thing I also want to say. What we don't often recognize is that the other attraction to fast food is that it's fast. And so there are communities now in the United States, and I would like to see Newark become one of them, that's now involved in doing food-oriented development, where we allow small businesses to develop and become very entrepreneurial in offering fast healthy food. So you support people who want to do food trucks, but not food trucks that sell all of these hamburgers that have french fries in the middle of them and all that, but who serve healthy tacos, for example, and other types of healthy foods. And I know there's somebody from the business school here. We should talk because that's the next thing we want to do. We can provide people with all kinds of access to healthy food, but if you don't have time to cook it, If you're managing two jobs and trying to feed four kids and all of that, we need to be creative in helping to solve that problem as well so that our children do grow up healthier.
0: And some of that can be, you can probably tell me more about this, Natalie, but I'm just imagining some of that is literally how you create, right, an RFP if you're doing a project or something and what kind of requirements you list as as priorities for... The city or the state, or how does this come through in in some of the other work that the city's doing? And I'm also wondering about the the food task force. I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about well, there's that. Some,
4: there are some members of the um, Newark food uh, Newark community food systems, including Emerilus here, speak a little bit more about that. And um, I guess what I would say is that, it, you know local government has sort of a spectrum of activities that we can do, and we can um, assess needs, sort of inventory to understand um, what the issues are, develop plans, Um, a lot of this stuff gets kind of boring and wonky, right, but (laughs) there's also an opportunity for local governments, and I think there's so many of us across the country who've basically taken on the resistance movement, because we know that a lot of the global policies that we need to follow are not necessarily being, that leadership isn't coming from D.C. And so cities across the country are banding together to learn from one another in terms of how to advance this kind of work. So strategies like what Dr. Rogers mentioned, um, and where we can learn from one another are really key. One of the things that we committed to in a sustainability action plan dated from 2015, so almost five years ago now, um, was to create a food policy council and to say, you know, what is that supposed to sort of do for Newark and that conversation didn't really advance all that much even though it was clearly a stated need back then. There wasn't that ecosystem of organizations that we have now including Newark Community Food Systems, including um, the Urban Agriculture Cooperative, including um, you know all the different programs that are run in many individual organizations that are now have a little bit more closer ties to one another. Um, So in the next sort of you know, even just in, in March, I'm in the the midst of planning a big community event to have an open conversation. I'm calling it building our table, right? What would a food policy council achieve in Newark? Because there can be any number of Objectives that are achieved by a group like this. It can be about increasing land tenure and water access for gardeners. It can also be about increasing opportunities for local businesses to create value-added products. It can be focused on health and nutrition. There's a very strong movement of people thinking about the food um, health issue, food issue from a public health perspective in terms of reducing the social determinants of health, or excuse me, addressing the social determinants of health. Um, and then there's, there's sort of other pieces to that as well because if you don't have that supply chain figured out, and I'm looking at Dr. Lyons here could, who could also speak up about some in- interesting and innovative ideas around that space, if you don't have those connections made throughout, then how are any one of those pieces successful unless we're all coming together to have that conversation across a big table.
0: Great. I think we have a question and then I'm going to come back to you, Amarella. Sure.
7: Yes, I have a question. Well, I just speak louder because I think the microphone, I don't, oh, it's working. Hello, hello, go. hello. Yeah, Hi. Um. I'm Dr. Pamela Clark. I'm the CEO and president of Newark Community Health Centers. We have a great collaboration with, um, with Beth and the hospitals in this area. And I just want to say that this is just awesome to be here in this room at this time talking about something so important as food. A lot of times we think because we go home and we eat and we think we're eating healthily, or our belly is full. So we don't think about the fact that there are many people out there, including ourselves, we are just not eating right. And so it is manifesting itself in the number of um, people who have diabetes, hypertension, and we all are guilty. We're all in here, we all have something, and we're hiding, but we know. <laughs> and so I just wanna say that um, I am happy for this, and I would love to hear a discussion about what the next step is gonna be, because this is beginning um, to letting us be conscious of what is going on with our own bodies and with other people in the community. And uh, so the question is, uh, where do we go from here after this great event? And then the other thing I'd like to ask is that um, could we do something about the cost for healthy food? Mm-hmm. I cannot understand why my bill is so high because I'm trying to eat more vegetables and I'm trying to eat more fruits. And so we talk about this food desert and we talk about what we're gonna to try to do in, in creating or finding good fresh food for people. But what comes with it is a high price. And so while we talk about this, we must be conscious of the fact that it must be affordable. Can we talk about making healthy food affordable? Question. Yeah. Thank you. We will get
0: to the answer to your first question in a minute, um, but let's get to the second question first about affordability, because I think that's an important one.
3: Right. So one of the ways that it is affordable is by participating in your community garden and growing some of that fresh produce and learning how to eat seasonally, because whatever's in season is what is most affordable. And then learning how to preserve those fruits and vegetables that we do grow in our gardens. So you can grow organically in Newark, that's how we grow in most of the gardens because we don't use pesticides, so we don't have to pay, you can pay few cents per seeds and it yields pounds and pounds of produce for the season. Okay, so that's one way. And then the second way is to learn, again, through various classes and workshops that we offer of how to cook this food in a way that it doesn't go to waste. So if we, whatever we grow, we want to maximize whatever it is that we are growing. And when it comes to um, different diets, so to speak, we don't want to look at it in terms of a diet for a number of weeks. We want to look at it in terms of a lifestyle. So our lifestyle wants to become healthy, and so therefore we want it to include mostly plant-based. So whatever we are growing, we want it to be a lifestyle. And so whatever lifestyle we've been living up to this point has to be undone, so how, may, how old are we? And how long is it gonna to take to undo what has been done? Right?
5: Deborah, yeah. So, so just, uh, just real quickly, um, you have to vote. Because what we have to understand is that food in this country is political. We subsidize sugar, we subsidize wheat, We don't subsidize broccoli. We don't subsidize string beans. And so we can do, and it's important that we do all of these things locally, but we have to understand that the fundamental reason that fresh fruits and vegetables are so expensive in this country is all about politics. And we have to become politically active, and we have
0: to vote. And, And I would add, food policy has to be an issue for politicians because it is an issue now that is largely governed by um, agribusiness. by agribusiness and by lobbyists for industries whether it's you know the soda industry or the whatever industry people who need healthy food are not often heard from enough in this. Mm -hmm. Deborah, sorry.
2: Yeah, I wanted to to let everybody know that the Community Food Bank has just started an initiative on farmers markets. We've just started four in the city of Newark. Um, You can check out our website and it'll tell you all the locations and that's free produce um, to varying communities. The other thing that we're working very hard on is connecting health uh, to food or using food as a prescription. Um, Although I don't say it publicly too much, I have a nursing background And um, we're tying together diabetes and food so that folks that we see in our food pantries and our soup kitchens, we're testing for diabetes and then following them and providing them with specialized food boxes that are specific to their health needs, which is, is, you know, the beginning of something that we think is very important.
4: An interesting I a, point. Another point to just add to it, and it's just because I personally have struggled with this so much in terms of answering um, the doctor's question, but there's a there's a sort of give or take, there's a balance in terms of affordability and convenience. And convenience often means time spent on making, you know, getting something that's cost effective. And I don't know the answer to that, but that's part of coming back to this question of um, how to make it as easy to get as possible at a price point that people can actually afford. So, you
6: know. I'd just like to jump in also. Yeah. Um, I like to say, you know, to answer your question, for young people, it's important for us to understand agriculture and, you know, us growing our own fresh fruits and vegetables so that we can provide for ourselves, even in our backyards, without having to come out of pocket so much. Is that something young people are doing? Um, we should. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to start a movement. Hello. Uh, hi, yes, my name's Anaya, and I'm a part of the Grassroots Community Foundation Supergirls. And my question is, why do you guys think that um, from 10 to 20 years from now, our generation would be able to fix the health system? And um, why don't you guys think that you guys will also be able to pitch a part in that? Wow. <laughs> I love it.
0: I don't have an answer for you.
6: <laughs> but
0: that's a damn good
5: so, so as a person who spends a lot of time in the healthcare system, um, and I'm assuming that's in part what you're talking about, um, I think you're absolutely right, first of all, that it is completely irresponsible of us to say, oh, well, the youth will take care of it, right, and we won't do our part. Um, and so I think, I think there are many, uh, many of us who are actually trying to make a difference. And I think that um, certainly for me personally, one of the ways that I'm very involved is in an organization called Physicians for a National Health Program. Because what we need to do is to assert in this country that healthcare is a right for everyone, mm. and that no one should be denied access to healthcare because they don't have the ability to pay. Don't worry, Daryl, we'll still figure out how to pay for hospitals, because <laughs> they do it in every other Western industrialized country that has single payer, um, but you're right. And I think that, that part, of, part of my goal is how do we educate young people so that you become partners with us in in this work, um, but it's certainly not your responsibility. We need to 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 be advocating to fix this system as well because it's pretty broken right now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Thank, Thank you. you. Another question. Hi, my name is Amina. I was a supergirl, and I am a part of the Grassroots Community Foundation. And my question is: You talk a lot about fixing food insecurity and the actions we have to take, but not about the actions we are currently taking. So what are some of the actions we are currently taking to quicken up this 10 to 20 year process in order to fix the food insecurity in Newark, New Jersey?
4: I'll speak to a couple of things from my perspective. So. Another good question. <laughs> yeah. Really good question. Um, there is no repository for all of the farmers' markets in Newark at the moment. And so that's actually something that I'm working on right now with with some intern support actually, so I'm lucky enough to have young people and their innovation, their ability to sort of put things, put the word out, um, to help people easily find how you can get to a place where you can buy food that's grown locally, but also food that's like healthy and affordable. And, you know, even if I put that online, that doesn't actually mean that everybody's gonna have access to it. It doesn't mean that most of the people that live in my neighborhood are gonna be able to read it. And so there's also an effort to be able to translate that information and make it immediately accessible in other ways, which has to be about. Honestly, like, you know, pounding pavement—that has to be part of the approach. We can't just do everything online. And I think, um, you know, I, I was recently in a meeting with all the directors um, in all of the departments in the city, having a conversation about how we can do better community engagement because it's feedback that we get a lot, right? We put information out, we say, okay, we're going to get back to you, and then we never get back to you, and that's a problem. And it's something that we're really working on right now. So I'll just name that one thing. Although there's a handful of other things I could mention as well. Deborah.
2: Yeah, um, thank you, Supergirl. (laughs) Um, One of the things that is most asked of me as I travel around the state uh, is that a lot of people think that food insecurity exists in a lot of the urban centers or the places that are most typically aligned with what people think is hunger. But I can tell you that hunger exists in every county in the state of New Jersey, and the one thing that people always or often will say is, I believe that hunger exists, but I just don't think it is in my community. And, um, you know, I've talked to people in some of the most affluent counties in the state, and I have tell them that hunger exists there. When I tell people that the highest food insecurity for children is Cape May County, they, they seem very surprised by that. Um, so I'm glad for your question, and it's an important one. But I think the first thing that we can do to combat food insecurity or the thought of food insecurity is to start telling people that it does exist, that hunger does exist in this state and in this country. There's 15 million hungry children in the United States. So that's a real, that's not just a fact, but it's a reality for people every day. I was one of those hungry kids. So I know what it feels like and and one of the things that A lot of people don't know about the Community Food Bank in New Jersey, which is that we're the largest food bank in the United States. Um, And one of the great things, if you come to our, you know, hillside location, most people who come for the first time say, I had no idea how big it was. It's the size of six football fields. It's massive, so we have a lot of food to give. And so there's lots of ways that you can take action. Tell, your, tell people that people are hungry, look to your neighbors and try to help out. Instead of having a birthday party where you get the sixth pair of socks, uh, decide to bring food to the party and donate it. Thank you. And thank you. And I think,
0: I was just gonna add that I think, you know quite honestly, this discussion right here is, is a sign of how far things have come because I've covered healthcare for a while and it, you know, people always sort of knew on some level that social determinants played a role, but nobody had really documented it, nobody talked about it, and it was always something, oh, you got the social worker to deal with. Yeah, we'll connect them with the social worker. I think that, that it's starting to turn around, and I think these things are now, correct me if I'm wrong, but coming a little more forefront. So I think, it's a, I think there, are, there is change. We've got another
8: question, sorry. Hi, right, thank you, great job on the documentary. There were some words that kind of resonated with me that I wanted to share with you, and that were lifestyle, education, and young people. As an administrator in the township of Hillside, right next door, I'm very interested to hear about how this movement is engaging our public schools to educate kids on healthy eating within their schools and in their neighborhoods. So for the
3: past two years, I served as a Food Corps service member I was reported to the Greater North Conservancy, and then from the Greater North Conservancy, I went to Hawthorne Avenue School, where there was a two-and-a-half-acre farm across the street from the school. Within the school, it was a K to eight, eighth grade, and then in the second year, it, they added pre-K. So in the pre-K classrooms, we had a readers to eaters program where I would come into the classroom and read a story that pertained to either gardening or a particular vegetable or fruit. And then we would have a tasting on that particular vegetable or fruit in its raw form so the students would know what the actual fruit was supposed to taste like. And then we would use a sensory cloud to discuss the fruit color, the texture, the taste, and then we would move on to the different grade levels. We would go across the street to the garden, we would grow vegetables, we would use the vegetables that were in season and we would do tastings. We would also have cooking classes where the students actually would cook some of the fruits or vegetables that were in season. So for example, in the state of New Jersey, cranberries are one of the uh, top Uh, vegetables that are um, fruits, I'm sorry, one of the number one fruits in our uh, grown in the fall. And so our students were able to taste fresh cranberries. We talked about how they are grown in New Jersey and then the students were able to make fresh cranberry relish and they also made fresh cranberry sauce. We used mobile cooking carts because there was an actual cooking kitchen in the classroom. And so the students were able to compare what that tasted like versus what they tasted in a can. So we also looked at nutrition labels. We talked about the amount of sugar that are in drinks that they purchased at the bodegas that were mentioned in the store. We also made healthy um, beverages, such as infused waters. So if they like something like a pineapple soda, we would make pineapple infused water. We made cucumber water. We would do all kinds of things that would be considered fun or ask students what they would think, what they would like to do that would include fruits and vegetables. So those are just some other things that we would Great do. Great Can
6: I just chime in just one time? Yes. I just wanted to say, um, to put, you know, this information into the schools, um, I know that Nork is coming back to local control this week, and I believe that we have a part to, in taking in letting our voices be heard and being a part of the curriculums that are going to be made in the schools. So, putting classes like home economics back into the schools okay. and teaching kids how to healthy eat, how to eat for themselves and cook for themselves because parents might not be in the home. Mm-hmm. Well said. And Dr. Rogers is chair
4: for the Believe in a Healthy Newark initiative. And there's an impact team that's focused on food and fitness. And one strategy that they're using is working with individual school. I think they're called like food nutrition councils, where parents can take more of an advocacy role in terms of the health of the food that's served in those cafeterias. And so it's an immediate opportunity for folks to just get more engaged in their community schools in the decision making for how things are done within that cafeteria. Got another question? <laughs> yeah,
3: so I was just, um, as I was watching the, you know, the movie, it, um, it struck me the mention that you know, 86% of our stores in Newark are bodegas. And it made me think, and this might just be a, maybe this may be like a next step or another project. Um, you know, I'm wondering if we've talked about leveraging what's already there to try to push more healthy foods into those, you know, th- these little small businesses, little entrepreneurs, people owning their own little store, that they're already right there on the corner You know, and and just think about what sort of initiatives could we maybe put in place to encourage the healthy foods to be available through those little infrastructures that are already
0: there. I know for a fact that there is a state program, I think run through the Department of Health, that has worked, I think, with certain communities. I know they've done it in Trenton. I don't know if it's happening in Newark, but there are programs that do exactly that, that that actually help the bodegas buy refrigeration units or new displays or whatever they need so that they can serve healthier products and that they're displayed in a way that makes them attractive and people want to buy them.
4: Rillis has got this great career development story because she's actually worked with the city doing a program just like that years ago, and so if you want to speak a little bit about that, I agree that there's a 2.0 and a, like, what does this look like now, but there was an effort to do that. Right, so
3: a few years back, we were, um, there was an initiative to get the bodegas to have more produce available, and so it was through providing refrigeration, and so again, those policies were never um, followed through, but at this time we're revisiting all of those um, policies. Right. The groundwork One of the is the laid. the pieces is
4: making sure that if, you know, if bodega owners are buying things that they know someone's going to be there to buy it, exactly. right? So it comes back to this question about lifestyle and people having a readiness. Another question?
8: I was dragged to the microphone. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I wanted to let folks know, first of all, uh, congratulations about the film. The, uh, the, uh, the journalists were brilliant. And if you want to go to Rutgers, I can get you in without a problem. Um, <laughs> Karen, you didn't tell me that you know the film would add 100 pounds to me, but I wanted to let everybody know that um, the partnership between Rutgers and Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas Hospital uh, Health uh, Barnabas Healthcare System is designing a all-encompassing Newark-wide. Uh, Urban Agricultural Initiative. So that's the existing community gardens and all the folks that are doing great things that you saw in the film, but also to add to that and start to think about these issues related to property and whether or not the community gardens can stay more than a year and be able to have longer-term leases and also to address the business uh, aspects and recruiting entrepreneurs because agriculture is a place where young uh, talent is needed for us to keep this actually going. So the question that I'll leave you guys with is how can we can uh, promote the careers that young uh, kids can now just start to think that agriculture could be a career that I could pursue uh, rather than all the other careers that are out there. Why can't Newark be the home of agricultural careers?
0: Mm. Well- I understand it is becoming sort of the new home of innovative agriculture technology in a lot of ways, so yeah, it seems like a natural fit. Another question, we got a couple more.
7: Um, yes, um, my name is Todd, I'm a student from um, Beringer High School, Todd. and my question is, with all these ideas and influences that you have um, shown today, that there are so many problems with the urban society that with the struggles with um, trying to actually have the agriculture in um, the parking lots and to only have a year and having students who can not actually get the m- motives out like why is it so hard for urban societies to actually show this to us to everyone from young age to old age from cultures from black to Hispanic to everybody
0: I don't have an answer but that's another good question <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, you know,
5: it's an enormous question that that you're asking. That, that, quite frankly, we don't have have time this evening. We could be here all night trying to answer. But I think there are two things to remember. And, And one of them is the historical legacy of racism and discrimination that absolutely impacts where people live, what opportunities they have for employment, what opportunities they have for education, and all of that. And so when you have these things that are rooted in historical discrimination... It takes time, and I think that one of the beautiful things about what's happening tonight is this is yet another cog in the wheel of progress. That every time we do these things, every time we bring people together to have these conversations, when we look at what's already being done, when we look at young people taking a lead and helping us think about not only how do we make sure you have access to better food, but also you're thinking about these bigger issues, right, of jobs and improving the city and all of that kind of stuff. This is just part of the movement, and I think that that's how we have to think about it, is that we're doing our part in making things better,
6: and that's crucially important to continue to do. I just want to say, um, to piggyback off of you, someone else said these problems didn't happen overnight, so we can't expect for the changes to happen overnight, so I just want to throw that in there. Yeah. Yeah. Want
4: to, to add, if it makes ahead. sense now to, to mention, but. Um, you know that we're updating our sustainability action plan, and we'll have chapters that are coming in forthcoming in the next few months. A chapter on um, how Newark can sort of meet our core goals related to sustainability. How can we be a cleaner? a greener, a healthier city to live, a, a city that's more prepared to face the impacts of climate change and all sorts of other changes that are happening in terms of demographics and the economic investments, etc. and also a city that's more engaged and having these conversations in a way that's very deliberative and, and um, you know, co- collaborative and, and coordinated because there's so much happening, it's hard to really keep track of all of it. And um, the goal statements that will have to emerge over the next few months in in community engagement in terms of naming what is gonna be in the next sustainability action plan related to food, I actually find it really hard to think which of those five chapters food would fit in. It's actually in all of them, right? If we're doing work around sustainable food systems, it's one of those things that touches everything, which is why it's particularly hard to handle
0: and to, to like address it. I think that's a good point, which is sometimes why it doesn't get addressed. Let's take these last two questions.
6: Um, hi. Um, so my question is in um, your movie, why do you guys only show African Americans in the food fu- in the food bank when there are, are many other cultures that have the same struggles as um, African Americans?
0: I think that's a good question. It's not one I can answer because I didn't make the movie, but I, Deborah, you want to yeah,
2: adjust I mean- the. I think that um, hunger, hunger is not a color, it's not a body size, it's not a, yeah. you know, it, it crosses all boundaries. So while you may have seen a snippet of one slice through a film, I can tell you that every race, every culture, every age is affected. One of the things that people don't know about the food bank, little fun fact, is that we, we um, support nine pet pantries in the state. So we not only feed people, but we feed animals because they're parts of families that often experience hunger. So I appreciate your commentary, but I can tell you that many, many cultures are affected by hunger. I'm going to let Karen
6: address that too. Also, what you were seeing in the food bank was actually classes. So you were seeing people who are being trained to be chefs in that class. So you weren't seeing people coming to the food bank for hunger, you were seeing people who are coming to the food bank to be trained to be chefs, to be solutions to the food insecurity issues that we were talking
0: about. So,
2: thank you. But I think it's also,
0: I think that does raise an important point and I think the image of how we portray hunger and how we portray solutions is really important.
3: But I do wanna mention that in our communities of color there are high prevalences of issues with obesity With cardiovascular disease, with diabetes, and I do believe that with lifestyle change, fruits and vegetables, and that those things are preventive. Okay.
0: Well, that's a great place to leave it. We are going I'm gonna turn it back over to Marilyn Harris from Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas, who's gonna tell you all about how you can sign up to uh, continue the conversation.
1: Come on and thank our panelists by putting your hands together. We thank them so much for what they have done.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to visit njspotlight.com for more healthcare news and search RWJ Barnabas Health on YouTube to see the documentary.